Hey, this is Andrew Schlecht from The Athletic. The NBA Finals begins on June 6th, and we have you covered at The Athletic NBA Show. Join us Monday through Friday to hear voices like Zach Harper, David Aldridge, Marcus Thompson, Dave DeFore, Sam Amick, and many more. We will have instant reaction shows after every finals game, plus podcasts to take you behind the scenes in between games. Listen to The Athletic NBA Show wherever you get your podcasts. Vancast to start the week and Drancer, if ever there was an episode where I feel like we should open with the national anthem, uh, perhaps this one perhaps this one's it. Do you know anybody that can sing? <laughs> well, I can sing, J Pat. I'm a longtime singer myself. I ran my own choir in university, if people don't realize that I'm a super massive nerd yet. I'll just read photos that one last time. Is there, oh yeah. Is there there's video there's videos online, <laughs> bud. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to, if, I'll, I'll be yeah, right no. back as I do a little yeah. search here. You keep talking. It, I'm gonna do it, a little searching. Yeah, if you want to see me hit the high note in semi-charmed kind of life, um, some some really deep googling will reveal it. Uh, look, I don't think we should open with the anthem. I think we should open instead by just reminding our listeners and and beseeching those who listen to the vancast to wear a mask indoors in public and behave in a way that will help us get through uh you know this second wave of covid19 right like that's what's important and you know i was thinking about it the other day like i was thinking about it in regards to the elevator in my apartment building right like you know singapore contact tracers like the best in the world right they barely even follow up with close contacts if the you know, length or duration of face-to-face contact is under 15 minutes unmasked, right? In an elevator, I'm spending 10 seconds with a guy, like in, in my apartment building anyway. But you still don't do it because some people, like I don't know what other X other person in the elevator, like I don't enter the elevator if there's someone else there because I don't know if like they may have a, you know, immunocompromised family member. Like I don't know what they're dealing with. I don't enter not because I think it's a risk to me. I don't enter because it's, about being polite to them. You know what I mean? Like, both things matter at this point. And just don't be a dick. Wear a mask. Right. And like I think we're on the same side of this argument. And it's a hockey pod, so I want to keep it to hockey. But there were a couple yes. of things Canuck-related in terms of the fallout. And, I, I, yeah, I mean, first and foremost Let, was... Let's address it. Let's address it directly, though, right? Let's set the scene and explain what, what happened, right? Okay, fair enough. I was on the air yeah. on Friday afternoon... When the story sort of broke, the story broke that Donnelly was going to be singing at this rally, and that was the story up until we got off the air at 6 o'clock, and then I left, I drove home, had dinner, and didn't realize that really things were just getting going at that point. And I think of all the things that happened, maybe my favorite was, let's be honest, Francesco Aquilini's use of Twitter all these years, live tweeting games, the... You know, I mean, what's he best known for? So tight, feels like a playoff game, right? Like, he doesn't, <laughs> he yes. doesn't give, he's never given anybody much over no. Twitter. And then to just swing the mighty hammer the way that he did on Friday on Twitter. Like, that to me was my favorite part of the whole story was that, like, out of nowhere on Twitter, the owner drops this bomb. Uh, it was. It, I think it was Francesco Aquilini's best PR moment of the last 15 years, right? Like, it was just 
the phrasing was good. It was framed in a joking manner. It was smart. Right. It was proactive. Like everything about it rocked. And you know, you know that it was it worked because like Steve Simmons in his Sunday notes is like, I have a newfound respect for Francesco Aquilini, right? In in a column that also uh, shills for Kurt Schilling going into the Baseball <laughs> Hall of Fame. Um, but nonetheless, oh, oh, sorry, it also blasted Kyle Dubas for defending the Kevin Cash decision. Like, it was the most Simmons column ever. But anyway, <laughs> the point is, is if you get Simmons' praise, that's that's good That's good PR. Uh, it was a, a well-calibrated, well-timed, uh, well-executed little note from the owner. Um, you know, Frankie Twitterfingers laying down the law on Twitter. <laughs> like, just fantastic. And, and, and so I just looked again. You know, 21,000 likes, 2,100 replies. And I joked on Friday, but there was some reality. Like, I did spend a good chunk of my Friday night. I poured a drink. And I just went through the mentions because there was, like, as you, I mean, any Francesco tweet, you're bound to get some gold, but you can imagine the response <laughs> and the reaction to this one. And I swear to God, every third response to the initial tweet suggested that Louis Erickson was an anti-masker and was planning to <laughs> attend the rally as well, and he should be fired too. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, <laughs> that's incredible. First of all, that's incredible. Uh, look, there's a, so much, there, you know what, there's actually a lot to unpack here. First of all, this was one of those weird stories that becomes mainstream news, like well beyond. I know when I start to hear from my family, like when my family's like, what's up with this anthem singer in my text messages, that this is a story that resonates beyond our usual sphere of like hockey nerdery, right? And with Mark, you know, first of all, I worked with, I did a I did a magazine like when magazines existed I did a magazine feature that was on like setting the scene before a playoff game so like it was like a conceit I wrote like a I, I maybe it was a 600 word color piece where I like tracked his day and didn't have his name in the piece until I gave it to Al Murdoch at the very the very last line of the piece is just the Al Murdoch intro line um so I, I wrote that for Sportsnet magazine back in 2015, and I like showed up at Kitts High School where Mark was working with kids who were like in the musical, and he couldn't have been like a nicer guy. Like he was completely easy to work with from a you know journalist source sort of subject perspective, and yet. You know, I knew because I'd covered it three years earlier that he'd sung at that anti-abortion rally, which had like graphic images. Um, you know at the art gallery too like literally the same spot almost <laughs> eight and a half years to the day later um you know we've known for a long time <clears throat> that mark had some alternative political views and some political views that weren't going to be popular or play well in this marketplace like we've known that and the organization has known that right like there have been there have been people in the organization in the past who've believed that this was only a matter of time. And, and you know, currently with the organization <laughs> who sort of believed that this was only a matter of time. Um, it, ha it came to an end, obviously, in a dramatic fashion this weekend and with Francesco sort of laying the, the heat down. But, like, they knew. They, I mean, this isn't. You know, do you get do you get a ton of credit for acting quickly? Like, I definitely think you get credit for the PR side of it because I thought that was masterful. But it doesn't change the fact that the organization had also, you know, platformed and and made Mark and his views prominent, despite his willingness to, 
you know, participate for some of the causes that he believes in, in the exact same manner with which he participates in the Canucks in the past, right? Like this is, so how much credit do you get for acting swiftly in response to the news this weekend? And how much do you, you know, deserve to get side-eyed a little to use a van cast favorite term um, (laughs) for, for allowing it to get to this point when this, you know, uh, PR liability uh, was easy to foresee for much of the past decade. Yeah, and look, I've racked my brain a little bit here, and I still don't know the full answer, but he had been phased out. Like, he wasn't the primary anthem singer, certainly last season. I think at some point he was just a Saturday night guy. Like, there have been lots of others. And so he had reached his peak as the anthem singer and certainly, you know, did it his way and all of that. But this isn't like this was the guy every single game. I, I think he was on his way out if he wasn't already out. Uh, for me, the other sort of funny fallout in all of this was the Mark Donnelly in England, the soccer writer who covers <laughs> Sunderland. And, like, put yourself in this guy's shoes half a world away, knowing well, what we know about Canucks Twitter, right? Like, yeah. And this happened, it happened on a Friday night here, Friday at dinner time. So he probably awoke to this on Saturday morning with his mentions just full of. I can only imagine. I mean, we talked about the replies and the responses to Francesco's tweet. I can only imagine what this Mark Donnelly, the soccer writer in England, woke to on Saturday morning. Yeah, I mean, if covering Sunderland isn't punishment enough, right? (laughs) Like he covers a... (laughs) He shows up in London or whatever to cover the... Sunderland's one nothing defeat to Wigan Athletic <laughs> in Football League One, um, and yeah, I mean his mentions must have been a sore, and that and that's hilarious, right? Like so funny. An- another another funny coincidence actually is Mark Donnelly, the Sunderland writer, would have covered covered that game, and I believe uh, a, an Australian fullback plays for Wigan Athletic, who's named Massimo Luongo. So Mark Donnelly went to cover Luongo's game <laughs> with Canucks Twitter in his mentions, and I appreciate that um, quite a bit. Anyway, look, uh, the Mark Donnelly, uh, hilarious. Like, just the, <laughs> the, you know, that's a classic, like, butterfly flaps his wings on one, one end of the right. <laughs> globe and, you know, yeah. causes a tidal wave in England. Um, but, but look, the last part of this that I, that I think is worth unpacking is just the you know is this right when we think about what the Canucks specifically have been through right to this point in the pandemic and we think about what the draft looked like right with Todd Harvey and Jim Benning and John Weisbrod and their whole staff in masks and you know the bubble Jacob Markstrom you know his reaction to the Mark um to the Leonard save on Brock Besser, for example, right? Like just like holding his face while he's masked up. Uh, Jim Benning throughout those playoffs celebrating in his mask, right? Like all of the protocols that went into executing this safely. The fact that the Canucks, you know, and the entire NHL were able to get through phase three and through the bubble uh, with, you know, CDC recommended health guidelines that included masking, you know, even in this bubble scenario, um, without a positive test, right? Like they were able to compete safely in large part because they followed the science on health protocols, tested uh, daily, contact tracing, like all of the epidemiological guidelines 
that will help us get through this winter were in place in the bubble and allowed the NHL and the Canucks to compete safely as they advanced to within seven minutes of the conference final. Like, this organization that Donnelly represents is essentially, like, as public a testament as you can get to why all of these principles matter, like, to why this matters. And I think that's worth keeping in mind here. Like, on the one hand, you've got gobbledygook science, right? And ridiculously ill-timed appeals to freedom. And on the other You've got proof pudding in the NHL operating safely during a pandemic of what we can do. Like, we can still do what we did before to some extent in a different way if we put in the effort and take the necessary precautions and allow ourselves to be guided by science. And unfortunately, we're at a point of, you know, high enough community rates of transmission across this country right now in Canada where that's not possible and where we have to significantly prescribe what we do even around the holidays um, and it's because we haven't followed those guidelines. Like, we haven't been guided by the science. Um, and that's just an important thing to keep in mind. Like, the Canucks as the Canucks and the NHL brand should serve to us as a reminder of what can be accomplished if we conduct ourselves safely and, you know, in, in alignment with what epidemiologists advise in containing the pandemic. And, and I think that's an important thing to keep in mind, especially as, you know, a mass controversy engulfs the team we cover. Right. And, I mean, it's cost Canuck employees, lots of oh, them, their jobs. No and kidding. the team can't play because of this pandemic. And even when they do play, they're not going to be able to put people in the seats and people won't be able to enjoy this sport that, you know, we all enjoy, all because of those things that you just mentioned. So... Yeah, I mean, it's it's there in front of all of us. There's no doubt. And I'm with you. You know, we'll choose science. Freedom of speech, sure. But freedom of speech doesn't mean freedom from consequences. And I think that's sort of where we are uh, at this point in time with this story. So shall we move on? Because yeah, I want to get let's to... let's move on. I want to get to the piece that you and Harm collaborated on that's posted now at The Athletic. And, you know, it's the latest in this exercise of trying to peg expansion and at some point Seattle is going to have an expansion draft and at some point Seattle is going to join the National Hockey League and you know the hope is that it's all still on track for next season so we assume that the expansion draft will take place you know, maybe not necessarily in the spring the way others have it may get pushed a little to the summer months whatever before Seattle hits the ice they're going to have to have this expansion draft and I thought it was interesting and you guys point out in your piece that you know it's only been a handful of months since you did the last one of these, but you know when you think of free agency in October and guys that walked out the door for the Vancouver Canucks and Nate Schmidt comes in and Braden Holpe as well, like a fair bit has already changed in just that short period of time. And if you were to do another experiment in a couple of months, you know it could change again. Like this is such yeah. a a living, breathing sort of um, organism, if you will. That, you know, until we know the Canucks roster, until we know the rosters of all these teams around the National Hockey League, and ultimately until they start playing and we know thresholds that are met, and you lay this out in the piece as well, because I think for a lot of people, Tom, like, expansion is, oh, who can my favorite team protect? But it goes beyond that, because all of these teams also have to meet thresholds as far as the, the players that they expose that will be available to the Seattle Kraken to select in the expansion draft. Yeah, and straight up, if you don't meet the exposure requirements, like you're losing a first-round pick, right? Like, <laughs> nothing else to it. They will punish you hard. So 
There's a reason that in 2017 everyone was compliant. There's a reason they will be again. And it's because the costs are prohibitive, right? So you get to where the Canucks are at. And like the one thing that the compliance, like the exposure requirement compliance piece leads you to pretty, pretty succinctly is it's pretty clear that Tyler Myers is going to be exposed in expansion. And I, and I think that's a big talking point. Like unless the club re-signs Jordy Ben or has, you know, multiple young defenders like Olio Levy and Brogan Rafferty both hit the necessary games played threshold, which currently is set at 40, but that's assuming an 82 game season. I'm sure it'll be relaxed. Um, but you know, in, in a world where Rafferty or Yulevi play 20 plus games in the 2020-21 season, like then they will have established themselves as NHLers who are also cost controlled and cheap and they will be valued more than Myers, right? Like the underlying logic of what the exposure list tells us is that the Canucks are, you know, almost sure to expose a defender who a, you know, played more minutes at five on five um, than just about anyone on the roster currently for the Canucks when they last season and B was their big free agent signing in the summer of 2019. Like, I think that's a massive takeaway and that's sort of the main point we wanted to drive home was, um, was about, you know, Myers's deal and, and the logic of that and how it works. Um, and of course we sort of reemphasized that the lack of, you know, defender like we have Brogan Rafferty and Levy, guys who've played what three combined NHL games between them on the list. Like clearly the Canucks have space in terms of a protected slot on the back end where they can potentially look to trade with a team that has, you know, protection issues on the back end, which most teams do, right? Like the def- defense yeah. is meant to be crunchy, but because the Canucks have you know, Triamkin, Hughes, and Rathbone all exempt. Like, they're in a really unique spot, and that has to be used to their advantage. Like, has to be. We saw so many teams make this mistake the last time out. Um, you know, it cost it cost teams players like Shea Theodore, right? Like like Jonathan Marcheseau, so like top-of-the-lineup caliber players. Like, this has to be uh, a time for the Canucks to strike and significantly remold uh, their blue line is over the next seven, eight months. And then up front, you know, again, if they don't re-sign Pearson, like if they don't bring in additional player volume, um, you know, they're going to have a protected slot that's used on a player like a McEwen, a Lind, or a Tyler Mott, like a, a bottom of the roster piece. And that also seems a little bit wasteful. Like that also could be an opportunity. Like if you're not re-signing Pearson or if you end end up trading him as a rental at the deadline or something, like there has to be a way to bring in a forward who's going to be exposed. Um, But there's all sorts of weird ramifications that this is going to have on the Canucks over the course of the season. And that's because it's based purely on the concept of player volume. And anything that's based on player volume means that every move you make is going to change the dynamic from Seattle's perspective. This is going to hang over every single transaction the club makes between now and the expansion draft at the end of the 2020-21 league year. I keep coming back to the fact that, and look, Braden Holpe, I suppose, is a candidate as well. That's why they signed him to the two-year deal 
that allows them to protect that Trudemko and expose mm-hmm. Braden Holtby. And Holtby may be attractive. I mean, let's see what his season brings here. But just for the sake of this argument, like let's say it's Zach McEwen. Let's say that Tyler Mott is a guy that they decide they want to protect, that he continues to grow and develop as a penalty killer, and uh, that McEwen is the odd guy out. And Zach McEwen is a player that the Seattle Kraken target on a team-friendly deal and all that kind of stuff. Like, if you step back and you think that the Vancouver Canucks come through two NHL expansion drafts in a four-year span and lose Lucas Spiza and Zach McEwen... Yeah, wild. There eh? isn't... There's not... Like, there's not another team... Like, you know, with all due respect to those two gentlemen who are National Hockey Leaguers and are living their dreams, there's not a team that comes through the expansion draft better than the Vancouver Canucks, is there? No, probably not. I mean, maybe Carolina, depending on who Carol like Carolina lost Connor Brickley the first time out, and Connor Brickley was a pending UFA. Like <laughs> Vegas signed him so as not to bog down their roster, right? And then he and then he went UFA. Actually signed with the Florida Panthers. He's a great guy. Um, so you know, there, there. I mean, there's a few candidates to be among the teams that get through expansion the least scathed. But the Canucks but are in that. The Canucks, Canucks are in that discussion. I think the Canucks are clubhouse leaders. <laughs> like at this point, you'd almost expect, you'd almost think something weird would have to happen for them to lose someone significant, even if it is Brayden Holtby, right? Like even if it is Holtby, um, considering where they were vis-a-vis their goaltenders and the expansion process four months ago, you'd still consider that to be like a win, right? And you know, I, I mean, there's no question here that the, um. That a team like, like, there's no way actually. As I look over this, there's no way that Carolina can ex- escape this unscathed the second time. They've got too many good D, right? So, yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, so they're they're. So not- there you go. It's, so it's official. The Vancouver Canucks are the expansion cup champions. <laughs> yep. Put that put that banner to the roof now. And I still can't believe Vegas didn't select Gaunts. <laughs> We're not going to go, yeah. go redraft the uh, Vegas expansion. <laughs> no, the uh, look, the Canucks are the Canucks are well positioned, right? They were a pure rebuilding team with not enough quality NHLers the last time out, and this time out they are because of their young defense, because Quinn Hughes is exempt, especially right. They are so uniquely yes. positioned, and that's an opportunity. Like that's a massive, massive opportunity to function as a clearinghouse. Um, there are complications, obviously, right? Like it's going to be complicated, especially with Pedersen and Hughes um, expiring. Uh, the Canucks may be reluctant to add cap, but that's another sort of reason, like to take advantage of this window, locking up Hughes and Pedersen potentially, having some certainty there might help. But whatever you do, like this is a once in a lifetime or a once in a generation type opportunity for a hockey club with a young core like the Canucks have to fundamentally revamp their blue line. And, you know, it's one they have to take. Like this is as high leverage as it gets. They have to figure it out. Um, Exposing Tyler Myers, while it's a massive takeaway and a fascinating wrinkle, uh, especially with how they sit, like it's, it's not actually that interesting because Myers is one of those good players who's still not going to be selected because of a high-risk contract, right? Like, there's no actual implications there, right? It's like when, you know, like, there's lots of players who fit that mold and there's no drama. Like, there's just no drama 
about that player being selected. And that and that's like the Canucks need Tyler Myers. That's good for them. But that's another sort of reason why they have these extra protected slots. Like you can't be using a protected slot on a 20, you know, he'll be 26 year old player like Brogan Rafferty when other teams are risking losing really, really good, like 20 minute a night, 40 point defenders for nothing um, on in this marketplace. Like it, you just can't, looking over Carolina, you can't have Hayden Flurry and Jake Bean both be exposed when you're when you're protecting Brogan Rafferty. Like you have to be able to find an additional defender. One of the points that you guys make, and I just want to flesh it out a little bit too, is Cole Lind and sort of his development because this will be his third professional season. So he's going to have to be either protected or eligible to be exposed, right? Like, so, you know, we talk about Zach McEwen and he's going to kind of fall right there on the fence. Like, if he has a, a really good season, I guess the Canucks might have to consider him over Mott. But, you know, the way you lay it out right now, I sort of agree with the seven forwards that you've got. And Tyler Mott is one of the protected ones. And again, the roster can change could change wildly here uh, once the season gets up and running and GMs get a green light to start making some things happen. But so for the sake of this argument, Mott is protected, McEwen is available, and then a guy like Cole Lind. And, you know, I, I just wonder, like, Tyler Mott is what he is. I don't know how much more growth there is, but he is part of their, their penalty kill, as you say. Uh, McEwen? He's an elite penalty killer. Like, Tyler Mott is a dynamo. Four on okay, five. And, uh, and, and that's important, and we t- yeah, because we've talked about Adam Godet like integrating youth, because you know you can't just continue to have Beagle and Erickson and Sutter as your penalty killer. You need some penalty killers, and Mott is at the top of that list, and so that's yeah. a, a skill set that works in his favor to be protected. So McEwen, you know, again, I want to I want to see it happen for Zach McEwen. I think he's earned his chance, but I don't know how much better Zach McEwen is going to get. I know that, you know, don't bet against him because he's kind of overcome everything at every level to this point. But Cole Lynn was an early second-round pick. Like, in terms of what he, in theory, could and should become, you know, is there not some more value there in a player, if we're talking potential, even though he has yet to step foot on NHL ice in a regular season game? Yeah, there could be, right? And and that's why this season's going to be so important for Lind. Like, I thought he was among the more impressive performers at the Phase 3 summer camp that we watched, J-Pat, especially considering that he wasn't even supposed to be there until the day before, right? Um, when, when Surprise! Sven Berchi, yeah, Surprise! When, you're coming to camp! <laughs> when Sven Berchi dropped out, right? So, yeah. uh, look, Colin, I think he'll have to show something, though, right? Like, in a player like Mott, you've got a guy who's elite in one phase of the game and who performed for you when the chips are down. We're down in the playoffs. He also brings this team speed. I thought I think the Canucks will be loath to lose that type of a contributor in their bottom six. Uh, McEwen, like McEwen's a, a quality young cost control fourth line player who may yet have some untapped third line upside based on his scoring rates over the past couple of years. I don't think you want to lose that guy either. Um, so, and then what happens if you re-sign Pearson or acquire an additional forward, right? Like then you're certainly protecting a guy who plays big minutes for you, like, you know, 16 yeah. minutes a night over over those bottom of the lineup pieces. So, you know, the thing with Lind is it's not just about earning a spot. It's not just about beating out Erickson, Roussel, Howerluck. Like it's also about 
beating out McEwen, Mott, and Pearson if you're going to end up on that protected list. And, you know, this is what people don't understand. Like, the, the or not don't understand, but I get questions like this sometimes in the mailbag or, or whatever, where people are like, you know, will Lynn be on the roster by 2023? And it's like, man, like maybe, but it's not just about the organization giving him a shot. Like you have to crawl over, not just the guys ahead of you now, not just the overpriced veterans that, that the fans like to complain about, but also Hoglander, but also Pod Colson, right? Like you have to do so much to cement yourself as an NHL regular. Uh, Lind hasn't done that yet. I think he's got some road to run yet. And, you know, now now he might be in a position where, at least if it's going to happen in Vancouver, like it might have to happen now, uh, lest he be a pretty tempting piece for the Kraken's consideration. Well, you and Harm do a nice job of laying it out there. I would suggest people, if they haven't already, check it out. You can go through the exercise yourself and try to figure out who should be protected and who should be exposed. Hey, if you're looking for alternate pod options throughout the week and we're all sitting here waiting still for news to break about uh, a return to play i'm sure jeff blaschel the head coach of the detroit red wings is uh, as eager as anybody uh jeff joins craig customs this week on the full 60 at the athletic i uh, wanted to mention because i saw this over the weekend on twitter max lapierre calling it a a career uh, after uh, 10 NHL seasons, I think he spent the last five over in Europe, played for Moto for a year, has been in Germany. But you think of Max Lapierre, Tom, and you have to think of a trade deadline acquisition in that 2011 run. Nobody knew it at the time that he was just keeping uniform 40 uh, warm for things to come and Elias Patterson. But uh, Lapierre was, a, I mean, he was a nice pickup, obviously, and a part of, a big part of that team. He fit in and, and was a nice part of uh, the run to the Stanley Cup final in 2011. Yeah, I mean, played top nine minutes for them in those last two series, right? And played pretty well, scored that huge Game 5 goal. Almost had a signature moment in Canucks lore, right? Um, But, look, LaPierre, you know, this is a classic, like, hockey lifer. Like, you can't, for me anyway, I just can't not like everything about Max LaPierre (laughs) as, as just a player and a person. Like, you know, drafted, what? Second round. So he wasn't like a nothing prospect, but I mean, he didn't make his NHL debut. He didn't really become an NHL regular till his, you know, 20, age 23, 24 season in, in 08, 09 for the Canadians. Um, and he's one of those guys who to stick around in the NHL, like he wasn't going to be a scorer and he probably wasn't going to be like a tough minutes third liner. So he became like a faceoff specialist and a super pest. And in the 11, 12 season, and people don't remember this really, but you know, he played all 82 games for the Canucks in that 11-12 season. They won the President's Trophy. He fought more than 10 times. He had nine goals in while playing exclusively on the fourth line. Um, like, that's tremendous value. And he extended his NHL career by becoming more willing to drop the gloves, by sort of breaking with the way that he'll be remembered in markets like Toronto, right, <laughs> or Boston, right, where people will always remember him as this best, like, Max Max right. Lapierre didn't just start trouble. He later in his career came to the point where he actually pretty regularly finished it. Um, you know, and you gotta love a guy who leaves the NHL and keeps playing. Just like clearly loves the game. Uh, he's great to talk to. He's always been good to me. Uh, so you know, congratulations to Max on a tremendous career. Uh, I think a lot of people will always remember that game five goal. And his contributions for that, you know, sort of late, uh, or I guess that golden era 
of the Canucks. Like those two consecutive presence trophy winning teams. Like he was a big part of that group and um, went on to have a story. Like he's one of, he's got to be one of the last to retire at this point, right? Like Ham Hughes is done now. It's like him, Edler, Tanev, right? Like there's not a lot, not a lot of guys that were still right. playing. Yeah. He was one of them. Um, you know, as we, as we approach what's going to be a 10 year anniversary, uh, you know, for the, the, that's Stanley cup run this spring. Um, you know, there, there's not a lot of them left. Lapierre was one of them. And, you know, I know he went back over to Berlin to play. Uh, I, I'd guess that his retirement to some extent, like, I think he would have played another year, uh, if not for COVID-19 and, and everything that's sort of come about. So, uh, you can understand, you know, and I think that was true of Hughes too, right? Like a lot of these guys are sort of looking at their options and thinking like, ah, I don't know about this, right? Like, I don't know if I'm going to wait around sure. and put my family yeah. through this. Like I need some certainty at this moment in my life and career. Uh, but congratulations to Max. He's, uh, he, you know, 614 NHL games, 80 playoff games, like a, a pretty good career for not, not even just a pretty good career, a great career from, uh, hockey lifer who clearly just loved the game yeah and you mentioned it uh you know four and a half minutes into the third period of a scoreless game game five of the stanley cup final he scores i mean that, as it turned out that was the last game winner the canucks would score in that playoff year and uh and then you're right 82 games the following year 48 in the shortened season so he was durable he was there available to them uh every night out uh traded to the canucks by anaheim with mcgregor sharp <laughs> for Joel Perot and a third rounder. And that third rounder, of course, turned out to be Freddie Anderson. Freddie Anderson, so yeah. The trade tree there. Uh, and it was funny, too. And I, like, I'm always curious about hockey circles. And so when I saw that Max Lapierre finished with the Berlin Polar Bears in the German League, I, I just clicked on the roster to see who else like he would have played with at the end of his career. And it's incredible how many connections there are on the Berlin Polar Bears roster. James Shepard attended yep. Canucks training camp on a PTO a few years back. Pierre Cedric Labrie spent a bunch of years with the Manitoba oh, Blues. Wow. Never played for the Canucks. Landon Ferraro was at Canucks camp last year in Victoria. Yep. Amazing. And this is a bit of a stretch because it's not really the Canucks, but Justin Pogge was the goalie for Berlin. And of course, he was the goalie <laughs> on that 2006 World Junior Gold Medal team that won the title at Rogers Arena. So if you want to stretch that. No, that's a legit Vancouver hockey connection for sure. For sure. I give I give you that. I don't even think that's okay. a stretch. You're no risk of pulling your hammy there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what? The hockey people I've talked to too in discussing late career Maxim Lapierre say he was a lot of fun to watch <laughs> in that last season that he had with the Polar Bears, like they they say that he played fun hockey, um, and that in the German league he was like an offensive centerman again, right? Like just and it, it, they, <laughs> the, the fountain of youth. <laughs> the, the the reports the reports that I hear are are Max Lapierre was an awful lot of fun um, to watch play, and that the the Polar Bears as a team uh, were pretty excellent. Oh, hey, you missed. I'm sorry. I'm looking at the roster. Ma you missed Mark Olver from Burnaby, BC. Former Avs yeah. forward, yeah. Right, yeah, um, okay, there you go, yeah. 
my Mark Ulver, excuse me. Yes, I completely gave him. I because I was thinking Lapierre, I gave Mark you Ulver. Him, huh? I yes. gave him the French Canadian <laughs> Mark Ulver. Um, <laughs> anyway, he was uh, he was a good depth player for those uh, overachieving Avs teams uh, in the mid part of the aughts or the teens, I guess. But yeah, no. So anyway, I, what I'd heard, Max Lapierre was uh, was a fun guy to watch play, and I think he'd become very interesting and very reflective uh, late in his career. Uh, he's He's been great to talk to over the years, and, and congrats to him. All right, I want to finish up with this uh, because this is where we were one year ago. Uh, I tweeted out uh, a video of it earlier in the day. Uh, it was on this day one year ago, JT Miller absolutely destroyed the water bottle behind Carter Hutton on the power play in overtime as the Canucks beat mm-hmm. Buffalo 6-5 on a Sunday afternoon at Rogers Arena. Yeah, Sunday day game. I remember it I remember it well. And, and that was Michael Furlan's first return attempt. You're right. That's that, what I remember. No, about you're it. right. He came back, he played that entire game and then the next game was the Leafs and mm-hmm. he didn't make it out of uh early in the second period and that was it for him until uh, his uh, attempt in Utica. So you're right. There is that storyline to it. It was also, and who can forget Tyler Myers' first goal as a Canuck, galloping. Oh yeah, the, the shorty, the shorty. Yes. <laughs> that was an amazing play, actually. Vintage, vintage Buffalo Tyler Myers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he starts at his own goal line and with about six strides is into the clear and JT Miller just kind of fed the puck into open ice and uh, Miller or Miller watched as Myers looked like a goal scorer went in and uh, it took a while, I mean, a couple of months for him to get his first as a Canuck. But uh, yeah, it was uh, uh, just a memorable goal just because of the amount of ground that he covered. Uh, and look, when he's in open ice, the guy is, is an incredible skater. We've seen that an awful lot. I mean, He's that's, an awesome skater, man. So... Uh, yeah, that was that was a year ago uh, today. So there you go. Uh, as- oh, I, I remember that fondly, and I remember the Leafs game later the later that week fondly. Um, yeah, that was a good week of hockey. Like I, that was a uh, that was a lot of fun. I, I just I I look forward to hearing a crowd celebrate the way that you know I, I, like especially those weekend day games, right, where you have more kids than usual like the sound of the crowd's a little different um boy do i miss that jpat uh true phantom pain as i as i recall it now i hear you i share it with you and the canucks were wearing their blacks that day as well just another added layer to all of that as well as one of the throwback days against their expansion cousins hey check out our comments section for each podcast episode at the athletic app Rate and subscribe the VanCast on Apple. Subscribe now and save. Go to theathletic.com slash VanCast. You can receive two all-access subscriptions for just the price of one. Get unrivaled sports coverage for an unbeatable price. So go to theathletic.com slash VanCast. Receive two all-access subscriptions for just the price of one. We certainly hope to see you there. All right, what uh, what do you want? Great Christmas gift. Yeah, no, that's a good call. You're right. People are looking for uh, ideas. If you're not already a VIP Get on board. Get with the program. Yeah, well, and who doesn't love shopping for themselves at Christmas, right? Like, that's the the sneaky joy of Christmas is you go shopping for other people, and and this year, anyway, a lot of it's online. But you find stuff you like for yourself, too. This allows you to have your cake and give the gift of the best sports coverage you can find, not just in Vancouver, but across sports uh, in the English-speaking world. The Athletic, it's well worth your time check it out there you go make it happen for transfer it's jay pat as always thanks for your support 
And thanks for listening to the Vancast here on The Athletic and theathletic.com.